0: you look back long-term, that was part of the reason your top producers are top producers today.
1: So the big question is, what are the top agents doing to absolutely crush it in real estate, grow their teams, and add more transactions year over year while so many struggle?
2: If you ever thought about this, you're not alone. No one has been able to get the answers until now. We spent the last few years helping agents sell billions in real estate, rubbing shoulders with top producers, which got us thinking... How can we expose more people to these insights to help raise the standard in the whole real estate industry? We then realized that we could help bridge the gap by getting secrets from the best of the best so that you can succeed. My name is Andrew Dunn. And my name is Peter Michael. Welcome to Elite Agent Secrets. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Elite Agent Secrets. Today, we've got Amanda Lott with us. Now, she is the Vice President of the Mem- Memphis Area Association of Realtors. She also serves the National Association of Realtors Young Professional Advisory Board in 2022. She's got a 10-year-old daughter. She's got Cameron. Uh, Cameron? Yes. She's got Emily? She got dogs. To be fair, I love dogs. So we're going to have to have a little bit of a chat about this. But more importantly for you listeners here, this year alone, she'll do 40 million. She'll do 118 transactions. And in total, you have done how many, Amanda, in the 13 years? 178 um, in my 13 million.
0: years, I just looked that up a little while ago, actually. Um, and now I can't even remember the number, but it, it's a big one.
2: 178 million. But- there you go. A couple of a couple of houses here and there, we reckon, unless you just live in Beverly Hills and you sold Jeff Bezos his house. So yeah. um <laughs> we're really excited to having you on the show. Uh, we can't wait for to unpack your three secrets. We're gonna be discussing leadership, uh, finding work-life balance and you know, your extra secrets to success here in topic three. So we'll unpack that final one. It's cryptic inside of being cryptic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's great. Thanks for coming on the show. Um and we're We're looking forward to this. I'm really excited, actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I think one of the most exciting parts is, as we were talking right before we started rolling here, is you've been in the business for 13 years, but you have a 10-year-old daughter, which means there's been a lot that has gone on in the last 13 years. So take us back to the day that it all started before you knew how your life would change forever.
0: So my story is... um... A little different. So I'm a second-generation realtor, which that's not necessarily uncommon. A lot of us end up staying in the business. Um, my mom always told me uh, to get a real job. Uh, this is not what she suggested that I do long-term because you know it's challenging. It's feast or famine in this business. So um, my mom passed her test when she was 9 months pregnant with me. So this is truly all I have ever known. Um, she was a single mom. So I went on every single appointment with her. We went to all the showings, all the inspections, the closings, all of it and I could give commentary walking through a house about whether or not someone should or should not buy it by the time I was 6 or 7 and she has some good stories about things that I probably should not have said but I did so um I've seen this business evolve over the years and it wasn't anything that I was like oh this looks great let's let's do what mom does mom worked a lot she worked hard 24/7 365 I don't know that I really wanted that plus the general concept that you didn't get a paycheck every 2 weeks uh, was not comforting to me in any in any way. Um, so I was in the restaurant industry for probably ten years or so, met my now ex-husband. Um, I graduated college, passed my real estate test, and got married all within a thirty day time span because that's just how I operate. It's just we're, we're gonna change <laughs> something. let's just change it all. And uh, then a few, you know, we weren't, That was 2008. So I was a visionary, if you will. Um, Not really, You just when you know no different from the market when it was in 2008 to what it was previously, you're like, oh, I'm coming from the restaurant industry. This is way better than the tips I was making. So it's fine. Whereas other agents that have been doing this for a while at that point were like, do I need to go be a barista because I don't know that I can pay my bills anymore because the market was crashing. So uh, the first couple of years were definitely... Rough in hindsight, but again, when you know no different, like uh, one or two commissions every once in a while was a lot of money for me when you're, you know, 23 and newly married and have no concept. Um, And then I ended up um, with my daughter, who's now 10, Cameron. So we had her in 2011, and things uh, were still pretty, you know, they were rebounding still. We were coming out of the recession. Um, But then I would say by the time she hit two, things really amped up. For me, as far as work-wise, and we have been just on an upward trajectory ever since. Mom and I are still business partners. We do everything 50-50. Uh, she's been doing this now for almost 36 years. It'll be 36 years in a couple weeks. And uh, it's been it's been great. I never would have thought that I'd be working with my mom. That's for sure. Again, remember, you know, she was younger when she had me and uh, uh, teenage years were not ideal. I would have never thought that I would be working with her every day, all day. And she lives like two blocks away from me, too. And I have her grandchild. So she actually has to, like, spend time with me outside of work as well. <laughs> she doesn't
1: want to. How, how do you manage all of that? Holy um, crap.
0: It's uh, it's rough sometimes. Uh, I have a... I guess, a drive to get up every day and just take care of things. I'm a list person. And so if it's all not knocked off the list by the end of the day, somehow I have, you know, failed at it, which is probably not the healthiest mindset. But it gets me through the day um, and gets shit done. So it's effective.
2: (laughs) I'm like that as well. Just make a list. People say, how do you know where to start? I say, make a list and start at the top. And they go, oh, it's not the most important. I'm like, you got to get it all done anyway.
0: Exactly. I gotta get it done. So just whatever makes whatever works. However it comes off in my head. That's number one.
2: Yeah, yeah. Just start there. So what when you got into it obviously second generation with your mum, what was your first year like then? Did you know with regards to transactions? You know, was it good, bad, first couple of years? Obviously, you were you basically started at the worst time. Yeah, absolutely. Like the worst economic time to get into real estate you started at. So what was your first year like then not first couple first
0: of years? First year. So I did make the multi-million dollar club our first year. So in Memphis, we have a lot of associations have the multi-million dollar club. Um, minimum is three. I think at that point, they had just lowered it because of how bad the market was um, to just 3 million in sales was your threshold to get into the multi-million dollar club. Um, and I remember in Memphis, especially at that time, our average sales price was like maybe 150000 Um It's... Up to 100, 250, or 270 now. You know, 13 years later. But at the time, we don't have the highest price per square foot. Um, that's why Memphis is so affordable, and so many people move here. We ever, you can get a lot of bang for your buck in the housing market here. Still.
2: So you still so in your first year you sold what, about 20.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was still a pretty a pretty stellar year, um, and it definitely helped coming in and being partners with mom. You know, she had built this. You know, empire, so to speak, uh, over those, you know, 20 something years before and done a lot of business, a lot of deals. I think her most productive year was 15 million. And that was sometime when I was in high school. Um, so she had, she'd always been a top producer for our market, but we've obviously stepped it up because even now, I talked to her uh, yesterday and she was like, Are we really going to hit 40? I'm like, We're really going to hit 40. She's like, Never in a million years that I think that I would be saying in my real estate career that. We'd be selling forty million. Um, I mean, because even if you even if you separate us as two different people, which we basically share the same brain, that's still twenty million a piece. That's still of a hell of a year in real estate when our average is what it is. So um, it's been it's been interesting. But that very first year, you know, we did well in sales with the three million. Um, but I did a lot of classes. I mean, that's pretty much what I spent my time doing was as much education and free education as I could muster up. Because, you know, you had the time, you needed to get your hours in anyway. So I just soaked up everything and anything that I could at the time. So I feel like I spent most of that first year in the association education center.
2: <laughs> learning learning the raise So did yeah. you, those first years then, were they mainly uh, deals coming from your mom's sphere and leveraging that? Or were you prospecting yourself to get those, even your first couple of years?
0: I was prospecting myself too. So, what we did was, um, you know, your sphere of influence, most of your deals should come from it, which is just everybody that you know that you can constantly remind, hey, this is what I do for a living. I'm in real estate. And um, so, my sphere being fresh out of college, really fresh out of high school at that point, because I graduated in 2004 was I got my hands on my graduating class list and their mailing addresses. Don't know if I was supposed to have that or not, but I did. (laughs) And I was like, well, y'all probably aren't in the market to buy houses, but your parents might be. Um, So mom already had a sphere, obviously, for her 20-something years of every house she's ever sold and making sure that we keep up with people. So I added all my high school graduate friends to that. And then I added a lot of my restaurant friends to that. And again, they weren't necessarily in the market at that point to buy houses. But I do think in that first year, I sold three or four houses that were directly related to my restaurant industry. And then over the years, that has just compounded exponentially. And I would say today, it probably really is truly 50-50 um, or pretty close to it on where our business is coming from half from people that, you know, mom knows and are loyal customers to her. And then half of people that I know and have grown up with. And now we've just got a lot of referrals and word of mouth. Cause we have a tendency to take Do care of business well. and get shit done.
1: <laughs> I think it is absolutely mental. The number of transactions that you're doing to how much volume that you have. Cause like I'm in a, I'm in the different market. I'm in Boca, mm-hmm. in Florida. So, our average price point is like 400 creeping up to 500, which means that I literally have to do half as many transactions to hit the same volume. So the fact that you're doing twice as many is that much more impressive. Cause I think we need to put it to, People and, and, and put it in perspective because you guys are cranking it. I mean, yeah. if we take 160, you're averaging at least 13, give or take, to 15 deals per month. Yep. How the hell are you guys... Is it just the two of you?
0: It's just the two of us. We just hired a full-time assistant about Just hired days ago. a full-time assistant? Mm-hmm. About 30 <laughs> oh days ago. God. So I didn't know... I guess I didn't realize how busy we had gotten over the years. So let's think about that too. So 40 million this year, last year, I think we were at 30, 27, something like that. Year before that, it was more like 2025. Year before that, it was more like 20. I mean, we've added several million every year for the last handful of years.
1: You're growing like 30% year over year. That is mental.
0: It's been crazy. It has, but we didn't... We both have that type of personality where you just get up every day and and do what you're supposed to be doing. It's not... We never stop, which this is a problem and we're working on it, but we never stop, take a deep breath, look back and go, Oh, look at all the things that we've done. Let's you know pat ourselves on the back for our success. It's just, okay, we've got to take care of the next customer. We've got this person under contract. We've got these inspections. We've got these repairs. We've got this. We've got that. And so it wasn't until I hired our new assistant and I was making a post welcoming her to the team on social media that I had to actually go back and go, oh, this is actually what we've done. Oh, this is why I'm so tired all the time. Or this is why, you know, this is why I apologize to my boyfriend. I was like, listen... I realize that maybe we haven't been the best on communicating lately, and I'm now realizing that that might actually be somewhat my fault, and I apologize for that. But you just get up every day and do what has to be done. Um, but. It was not until uh, I guess I was in D.C. for mid-year for N.A.R. recently or Leadership Week or or something like that. And I was talking to some of my young professional network friends from across the country and they were talking about volume and this, that and the other. And they were like, oh, well, a rule of thumb that I've always heard is that if you're doing 30 transactions a year, you need or more, you need a full time assistant. And I was like, I sat back. We were at lunch. I was like, oh, my God, we're doing we're doing like. 30 every two months. So maybe we need to look into this. And so then I started asking questions. I'm like, how do you even do this? How do you pay them? I mean, we're 1099 employees. I don't know how to pay somebody. How does this even work? Um, Do you have to have insurance? Like how? So somebody was like, you just figure out what you're going to pay them because I'm also not the type of person that easily hands over control of things. Um, If you can tell, we couldn't (laughs) tell. So I, I, they're like, you have to take the money that you were going to pay them for a full year, six months, bare minimum and set it aside and pretend like it doesn't exist because otherwise you will decide two months in, Oh, we're not busy enough for this. I'm you just, we can't have you work here. And I was like, well, I can't do that to whoever I hire either. It's got to I can't just hire you on, have you leave whatever it is you're doing. And then in two months be like, yeah, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to go back to doing it the way we did it. So I talked to Carol, mom, and um, I was like, this is what we need to do. And she's like, I'm pretty sure I've been telling you for like two years that we need an assistant. And I'm like, you mentioned it in fleeting you know, conversations. It's not something we've sat down and like talked about. So let's talk about it. Um, and we did. And it was not long before we... Uh, hired somebody who's actually been our office administrator for our office here in Memphis for the last six or seven years. And I called the CEO of the company and I was like, listen, I'm not trying to like steal your people, but as you can see, like we're pretty busy. She knows how we operate. She knows the ins and outs of the business. Can I take her and y'all hire somebody else? And they did. Um, you know, they make, wow. they make some money. Make some money the
1: first time this. I've heard anybody be like, yeah, here you go.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they to some degree they got to make sure that we stay happy because uh, they're making money off of us too. But you know, if, if we need to, if we want to continue to produce the way we're producing, this is the best way for me to do it. Will you help me? And my company is wonderful enough to say, yes, we will help you. Um, so now we have Felicia, who's phenomenal and knows the ins and outs enough of the business and is getting her license so that she can attend certain things if necessary, but we're still not. We're not handing off our customers by any means. It is primarily like, all right, can you make this contract, put it together, send it to where it needs to go so that I can save that 30 minutes of my day. And when you add that up 13, 14 times a month, that's a good chunk of your time that I'm not having to direct towards that anymore. So
2: yeah, you got guys have luck.
1: Andrew and I, we were laughing because the moment you said 30, now this has been a theme over a few episodes now that every single person says at 30. That is high producing, hire somebody, an executive assistant, somebody to help with the paperwork. If you don't know what they should be doing, hire them anyways. Start making a checklist. And anytime you find yourself doing something multiple times, put a process in place and hand it off. Because 13, like 13 times 30, right? That's what, seven and a half hours, give or take. But seven and a half hours that you have for your daughter, for your boyfriend, for your family, for yourself selfishly for
2: yourself right Yep. i think one of the other things as well which is interesting where it's like i never look back and kind of appreciate it so we fall into it fall into this bucket as well because it it's a let's call it a negative habit or negative side effect of successful people is like we just we keep going because because we have a big goal like all very successful people they don't they, they might incrementally have like little goals, but they don't necessarily celebrate them. They're kind of milestones to go, I'm on the right path. Right. But like your big goal might be, I want to do 100 million a year. And then when you hit that, then you'll go like, we fucking did it. And that'll yeah. last for about two minutes. <laughs>
1: Until you're yeah. like, yeah, next goal, 200 million.
2: Yeah. yeah. So you spent 20 years for two minutes and then you'd be like, well, what's next? And then yeah. like life kind of <laughs> twists and turns, but it's, Yeah, this is kind of one of the things that we see a lot because again, we we definitely or we definitely do this where it's like we push on and we keep pushing because we've got these bigger goals and that's not a bad thing. But you never look back and go, "Holy shit!" Like we've done amazing stuff. Now, one of the things with your admin assistant that we do talk about the whole rule of thirty, which does keep it's it's a theme now. But the thing is, is it was you and your mom, so technically you could double it. So, for yes. you, there'd be sixty, and then you should have got one because you were both doing it when a lot of the people that are talking about are solo agents doing their own thing. So you you did have someone else that would be a little bit high for you. It's um, I mean, what's nice is you've been basically super consistent and had constant growth pretty much consistently over thirty yeah. year, thirteen years, sorry, which is which is pretty phenomenal, and you started in the worst economic climate. and during Covid, You've grown the most seemingly in the last two years. You've just absolutely rocketed off. Now, why do why do you think that is? Why do you think when
1: everybody else was panicking and freaking the fuck out about things being shut down countrywide, nationwide, globally? Yeah, why did you have your best years?
2: Yeah, so
0: part and of why that. Did they
2: fail? That's yeah. I want to throw. Why do you think they have failed, and why do you yeah. think you? Because we've got our opinions on this as well, but we have just seen that a lot of people have had huge growth in the last two years. Oh, and, yeah. a lot, and then loads of people have gone, I've not sold the house because of the pandemic. Yeah. And it's like, how can there be that extremes? Right. Yeah. Well, I ago. think
0: the market in itself, especially here, but I know really everywhere has been a nice little recipe for success. If you get out there and, and work it with low inventory, low interest rates, buyer demand, Buyers being at home, all of a sudden they realize, oh, I've got to change this location, get out of my parents' house, get a bigger place, whatever. Office space, obviously, is like a big, you know, can I have a work from home office? Um, So I think that right out of the gate, there was this, oh, if we're going to be doing this for a few months, I might need to make a change in my lifestyle. So... um, For me, I think one of the reasons that we remain successful was because of mom's history in this business. Because, like I said, I've seen this uh, industry evolve. You know, when mom first got in the business, there were the MLS was a book, a binder. Um, She was one of the first people to have a car phone. A pager was like a freaking luxury. I don't even think fax machines were in existence at the time in 1986, as far as a regular everyday commodity for real estate. She's also seen the market go up, go down, interest rates go up, go down. You know, When she got in the business, they were still in double digits. So she's always had this general thought process of like, this is just another storm. We're gonna weather it. People still need to live in houses. We're going to be fine. And I think the mental aspect of it of going, all right, life is not going to end. Will we have a slow year or two? Maybe it's possible. But this is a health crisis, not necessarily a housing crisis, like it was in two thousand and you know six, seven, and eight, um, and nine, and ten, and eleven. Let's be honest; <laughs> uh, it lasts a while. Um, I think that knowing that, you know, she's weathered the storm was, while this was totally different, it was still just an effect on what was going on. And then it I honestly think I only panicked or was concerned for about 48 hours. And then I had all of a sudden people were still texting and they were like, hey, can we go see this house? Hey, can we go see this house? And I'm like, I mean, I guess I can show houses. I don't really know. And at that time, um, I'm a big supporter of RPAC. And at that time, um, we had been deemed essential, luckily, in Memphis, Tennessee. Not everybody was deemed essential. Our RPAC uh, pushed for that, and we were good to go. But um, I had to kind of navigate, like, all right, can, can we go show property? Um, then all of a sudden, I'm, I've got this one particular couple that kind of like really set off like, okay, this could be a great opportunity here. Um, they were both teachers, for music classes here in Memphis, at our in our school system, and schools were virtual; they were shut down. And uh, so they were like, "Well, we're still getting paid, but we're basically on break early. So we've got all this time, and we've got income, and we're not spending money. So let's go, let's go buy a house." And they were a very young couple, first time buyer. And I think we looked at probably I don't know twenty plus houses, and I think we made offers on ten of them. And we lost to 20, 30, 40, 50 multiple offers on all of them until we finally won one. And so it was like this weird feeling of, okay, I'm being told that this is all awful. And like, we all need to brace ourselves. But what I'm seeing is very different from that. And it only took me going out in the field a couple times and writing these offers before I'm like, whoa, this is not what people are expecting it's going to be. We started making posts on social media about, hey, if if you've been in the business for a really long time and you're not super comfortable going out, I am. Send me your customers and we'll pay you a referral fee. Um, Posting on a daily basis about what we're doing and where we're going, making sure that people still realize that we sell houses We just didn't miss a beat. I never went quiet. I never commented on what was going on either. Um, never once had a post or a statement about anything political, anything about COVID as a whole, anything about, oh my God, the world is falling. I just, I just don't. I'm still getting up and selling houses every day and I've kind of we've kind of always had that thought process of whatever our political and personal opinions are, we don't get to share them because not everybody has them. And that's not going to be, I'm not going to let that be a reason that somebody doesn't think that I can do my job because I can do it well, regardless of what my thoughts are. Uh, But we live in a society that that makes a difference. So we just made a point to not comment on it, not say anything about it and continue on with our business. And I think people saw that and were like, oh, Amanda will go show us a house. Let's write an offer on that. And then before you know it, you know, word spread within six months or so that the housing market was crazy, and if you wanted to buy a house, you had to go out and get it right then. And we were lucky enough to be at the forefront of that, and people trusting our opinions and knowing that we were still, uh, we still had faith in our city, faith in what was going on, and faith in the market as a whole.
1: I think part of it also is probably your supply of toilet paper was very very high, <laughs> before you were giving it out with the offers. Yes, but but no, you, you make a very valid point because you didn't skip a beat. People trusted you because you put yourself out there. People also trusted you. They saw you. So you almost were, not almost, you were leading the pack, right? When people didn't know who to turn to, they knew they could turn to Amanda and mom in order to buy or sell their property, no matter what the circumstance was. Yes, it was maybe a little bit weird. All of a sudden, things have changed. The other thing that I like um, that you said is you refrained from addressing the elephant in the room. Which I think, in some weird way, almost put your clients at a comfort because they were they were coming to you and you weren't going to say, "Oh my God, what is going on? COVID no. this, COVID that. We're all going to die. Panic mode." And hear all the negative bullshit that everybody else was feeding us, right?
0: Well, because I think we reached a point as a society where we were tired of hearing that. Yes, um, and everybody did get on, you know, understandably so. But I, I can honestly say I didn't know enough about any of that to speak on it. Like, I'm not one that's just going to, like, talk out of my ass. And I'm like, I don't know enough about this to be an ex- expert on it. It's like that whole, you know, I'm not an attorney, so let's consult that person. I'm not a tax advisor. You need to call your tax advisor. I'm also not a politician or a doctor. So not my call. <laughs>
2: One of the things when I got into business, uh, I forget, I actually forget, it was actually a realtor as well, very successful. And she was like, there's three things you don't discuss with clients. She said, politics, religion, and abortion.
0: hundred (laughs) percent.
2: She went, went, just, you can talk about anything. You never talk about those three. like, and then you're good to go. And then I was like, I mean, you know, obviously just common sense kind of leads you down that path long before, but I've never heard someone be like, I am openly like, I never discuss this. I don't talk about like, I've got my own beliefs and I'm going to stick, I'm going to keep them to me. And then everyone else, you know, like you said, I don't want people to think because of my beliefs that I'm not capable of doing a fucking amazing job for them, which I, one of the things that, like we're rolling quite nicely into the first topic here, um, which is, to do with involvement and leadership because during this pandemic everything went on you obviously took a very upfront leadership role within the community of memphis and who you serve so i want you just tell us a little bit more about what you mean by involvement and leadership and unpack that for us
0: um so my involvement um well involvement as a whole was pushed on me and I will say pushed I say it lovingly but by my mother um because she's she's always one that's like if you want to get be successful in this business you have to get involved in your association and the the response to pretty much anybody that's new in this business or even people that have been in this business for a while are like why would I give of my time to my association to be on committees or to be on the board of directors or to whatever, when those people aren't buying houses for me, like this is time out of my day, out of my week, out of my month, these people are not buying property, obviously, for me. So how is this helping me long term? And I was the same thought process, like, fine, mom, I'll I'll go sign up to be on this committee. Again, it was 2008, 2009, what the hell else did we have to do? Um, So I was on, you know, I think my first couple of years I was on three or four committees because volunteer leadership is obviously hard to come by a lot of times. Um, And at that point we had lost a lot of realtors over the, the housing market crash. Um, So there weren't a lot of people. So they they took me in all committees if I'd have them. Um, And I think that, It didn't take me long to realize, especially being new and being younger, because I was only 23, 24 at the time. So people did look at me like I was a child. They also looked at me as Carol's daughter because I literally grew up in that building Um, because mom was always very involved. So I went to everything. So they'd be like, oh, you're Carol's daughter. I'm like, I'm Amanda, Like, I'm my own person. (laughs) Uh, Which now, Um, looking back, I'm I'm like, y'all can think of Carol's daughter. That's fine. It worked out for me well. But, of course, young. I'm like, yeah. I am my own person. You will not think of me this way. I must make a stance for myself.
1: What what, what are the chances that Cameron is going to be in real estate too?
0: I don't know. She's told me before that she wants to be uh, a builder, i'm like oh let's buy you a subdivision we'll get a nice architect you can build them and i'll sell the shit out of them let's do that so she's big into drawing and art and that kind of thing so i'm like honestly this could be a long-term career path if we play our cards right so there is some potential future uh, endeavors there uh, we don't have a lot of female builders in memphis so it would be awesome if one of them was mine uh i think that'd be Setting a the, the pace
1: time. being a leader in the market it's interesting. Why do you feel that getting involved in the in the local association is such a big move and why should everybody in some shape where form and capacity be involved in that? Cuz me as a new agent, I'm thinking exactly what you said. I'm trying to make some bread right now, put food on the table with my family, you know, have fun while doing it, but realistically right. make make, make some money, right? Like I need to make money. So why would I already from my very, very busy day or what I think is a very busy day, take that away, sacrifice the time with my family and volunteer for my association?
0: All right. So it's really kind of Three parts, if I can remember all three in my head. I just had them. Um, One is it makes transactions a lot easier when you know who's on the other side of the the deal. Um, And let's be honest, you know, 20% of the agents do 80% of the business. That's always been the rule of thumb. It may even be more like 90-10 now, Um, but... Those are also the same people that are usually involved at your association. So if you, you know, if you sit at the table with the movers and the shakers, you end up being influenced and end up being a mover and a shaker long term. You have to surround yourself by pe- with people that you want to aspire to be. So there's that. It makes transactions easier um, to know that there's a personal relationship. You know, oh, hey, I just saw you two weeks ago sitting on the MLS committee meeting or whatever it may be. Um, the other one is knowing what the hell is going on. Um, You know, if you're on the MLS committee or the member services committee or whatever various committees you have, it gives you a little bit more insight into how this business operates, um, what other people are doing, um, what's changing in the realm of technology, in the realm of marketing, in various other aspects, whatever your niche might be or whatever your interest might be. I can promise you your association probably has a committee for it. Um, And it just makes you that much better of a realtor over time. To keep up with what the hell's going on in your market um, and in your area. And the best way to get that information is through your association on a national, on a state or local level. Um, and then that third one, I, I knew I was going to do that if I didn't write it down and I've forgotten it. So when we come I'll, I'll come back to it later.
1: It's interesting because my assumption would have been that the people that are the movers and the shakers, they actually don't have the time to be involved in the committee but you're saying it's the opposite, which makes me now rethink the strategy. And it I is, mean, that makes that makes perfect sense.
0: It is in most cases. And so, if you look back, like if just if you wanted anybody that's listening wanted some homework, if you go through and see who your top producers are in your market, are they currently on the board of directors? Are they currently the president? Are they currently on five different committees? Probably not, but they were ten years ago, or they were five years ago. Um, You get to a point where like moms at that point after this many years, she's like, I'm done serving. I've I've served. I've I've done all the things I needed to do. But she 100% attributes um, most of her success from continuing to stay involved and knowing what's going on in the association. But that doesn't mean that she is today like she's connected now she's good she you know people know who she is within customers and within other you know realtors so she's it's accomplished what it needed to accomplish for her but if you're newer it's i would highly encourage you to get involved in the association because if you look back long term that was part of the reason your top producers are top producers today
1: Would you would you put different weight on different associations or would you like prioritize your involvement like if you could when you first started out?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think your local association is really the most important. The state associations are great and they're necessary. Um, Your connections aren't as great there because I'm not going to go sell in Nashville. I'm not going to go sell in Knoxville. I could but I'm not going to because I don't know those markets, but it does help to get those referral connections um, when you're on a involved in a state level because I know who I need to call in Knoxville or who I need to call in Chattanooga or whatever if I've got somebody moving from Memphis that's just staying within the state. On the national level though, whole different ballgame. Those connections with those realtors are priceless. Um, the connections for referrals... Especially within the young professionals network, our referral database, and it's not a database, it's a Facebook group, but our our referral process there is amazing. You get you see three and four posts a day of, hey, I'm looking for a realtor in such and such or such and such. And we're all YPN members, which means not a whole heck of a lot as far as you would think. Oh, you must be young. Not necessarily. Everybody can be, you know, a young professional network member. Um I think our average is probably more like thirty or forty, whereas the average age of a realtor is still fifty five it's been fifty five for like ever. um so when you've got these younger the younger generation coming in, we had to have a place to like get together because we're not necessarily the common the common number here. Um, the referrals for YPn have probably I would say in the last two years, at least ten. A deal, 10 deals a year have come straight from referrals from YPN, which I mean, you know, in my grand scheme of numbers, is that most of my transactions? No, it's not. But even one of them was worth my involvement and the time that I've put in for that one year. That one commission is
1: well worth it. it's, It's funny you say YPN, because one of the things when I was joining my board, they were asking me as a young professional, which... Um, which group would you like to participate in? And that's the only one that I checked. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's like, it's the only one that I felt like related to me yeah. as somebody who's young in this profession. And like you, you're saying, not that there's nothing, not that there's anything wrong with somebody who's a little bit older, but we just do the business a little bit differently.
0: Yeah. Young you know? and new to the business. You know, we, we're an industry that has a lot of second and third uh, career People, You know, we've retired from one and we've moved on to this one. Oh, when I got in the business, there were a handful, I feel like, of people that got in at my age and continued to have this be their main career. Um, and I think that's kind of shifting. I think we're getting a lot of younger people in the industry and it is the future of our leadership within a local, state and national level. And so making sure that we're connected and we're it's a very helpful group, um, but like WCR, Women's Council of Realtors, wonderful. CRS, Certified Residential Specialists, wonderful. And they are great organizations and groups that are necessary and fill um, a void for various different groups within our association. And we just needed another one. So we added YPN to the mix because it just felt like a place that... Needed to be filled, but YPN is unique in that we don't require that you be in the business for a certain amount of time. We don't require that you've sold X amount of transactions. We don't require that you pay dues. None of that. Just like, hey, come be with us, hang out with us, ask a question. We'll give you all the information. I posted something about, uh, well, like me and the assistant. I mean, I have called four or five of my people um, from all over the country, and I'm like, hey, all right, you 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 mentioned to me that you've got like three assistants. What exactly do they? do do you give them email access do they monitor your text messages like how does this work and they're like girl i'll tell you all the things because that's the way this industry is in general you know community over competition always but YPN especially is just like yes i will tell you everything that i do because you're not a threat because you're in memphis tennessee and i'm way over here and even if we were in the same market people are still pretty open to just share all of their information with you because Honestly, let's be real, even when we go to a class, we take all the notes, but most of us don't actually implement anything. So I can <laughs> tell you all day what I do, and maybe two or three people will be like, oh, I think I'm going to do that. So yeah. it's, it's I not will, really One or,
1: or two people actually execute. A hundred will listen. So I did write this down because I need to revisit. No, i required to revisit the YPN to know <laughs> exactly what the fuck am I missing out on.
0: <laughs> Plus, it's a good time. YPN's a fun group. I mean, you know. It started off way more of a social thing and it's evolved for sure. Charity, RPAC is a huge, huge component of YPN now. Um, all, all kinds of different facets, but YPN still likes to go out and have a good time.
2: When you said that, you are like, it started as a good time. All I'm thinking is it started as a people, a group where you just all wanted to go and get pissed together. Pretty much. Get drunk, and then you went, we'll call it something like, <laughs> something to do with real estate and no one will figure it out. Like no husbands, no wives will figure it out. We'll say we're going to a, a committee meeting. Yes. Oh, as an affiliate.
0: Oh, hey, would you like to sponsor and provide us all of our food? That'd be great. And drinks. You can come hang out with us if you'll buy all of our food.
2: <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's has gone like, oh, when we get drunk together, we actually have like a really good time. We're a really good group of realtors. Oh, and by the way, would you consider yourself a maverick? Are you an agent, team leader, broker owner who's constantly striving, pushing boundaries and smashing goals? Well, we've already helped over a 100 agents cross $100,000 and up in GCI per year. So if you're interested in learning more about our courses and coaching to help you scale your business, then head over to go.eliteagentsecrets.com.